Welcome to the Hot Route Football Podcast, the place to catch up on all football-related stories, opinions, and late-breaking news, as well as all major events in the sporting world. I'm your host, Jackson Long, accompanied by the ever-bold and brash J.P. Mortensen. Hey, J.P., what's up? Not much. Just a whole lot going on in the NFL. Yeah, we're not going to touch on this whole coronavirus situation because, I mean, we're all living it right now. We wish you and your families all the best of health and Please stay safe and socially distanced at this time. But without further ado, let's jump into this podcast. So we're going to start off pretty light and easy today, and we're going to talk about the latest of breaking news, and the most critical, of course, jerseys. All right, so the Buccaneers and Falcons have just released their new jerseys for the 2020 season, and uh, we have some opinions. JP, do you mind just sharing a couple of yours right now? Well, first off, I am so glad Tom Brady will not have to wear the Buccaneers uniforms of the last few years. Honestly, that was the one thing that made me not put Tom Brady on the Buccaneers in terms of uh, where he would go in free agency. I just couldn't see him wearing that hideous orange numbers, that stupid font, the logo that was too big for the helmet. Everything about it was just not I knew that was a stupid reason to discount them from the race. But still, that should just say how unbelievably awful these things were. However, they went old school. And by old school, I mean about 10 years ago um, with the classic pewter look. uh, Pretty similar to the ones that they wore after the creamsicles. I wish they brought back the creamsicles. The rumor is maybe next year when the NFL uh, finally lets teams wear more than one lid or have more than one cover for their helmet. So perhaps we'll see the cream schools coming out next year. But I really like what they've been doing with these uniforms. I think it's a nice uh, it's a nice homage to the early 2000s teams which were actually good. I the like the most successful era in that franchise's history. Probably the successful era in that franchise's history. I really like I actually do enjoy the oversized Buccaneers flag. I think it's a uh, it really pops off. However, JP and I have a little bit of a disagreement with these. I am really, really pref. Uh, I really love the white, all white. But JP's more. He likes the pewter a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I love the pewter red pewter, um, pewter pants, pewter helmet. Can't go wrong there. Uh, just the picture I'm looking at. It's Levante David, so that makes me even like it more. Love that guy. So let's move on to um, the other uniform that was unveiled actually just yesterday but the Atlanta Falcons they have a uh, three new uniforms and a bunch of different combinations and we have a whole lot of mixed feelings on these especially so JP why don't, uh, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of a report well what I will say about the Falcons is they have a great logo and they have some great colors so they do have a lot to work with when crafting uniforms. However, I think I don't think this was a total swing and a miss, but it definitely wasn't a home run. Okay, I think the total swing and the miss is the whole red to black gradient on the jersey. Oh my Green. god! Are Let's they trying hope they to be... only wear that once a year. I hope they never wear that ever. I hope they just incinerate those. Those are absolutely disgusting. It reminds me of those old Jaguars helmets with the gold fading into the black Mustard. that everyone used to make fun of. It's basically that, and it's just it's just not flattering on a jersey. It does not look good. Grady Jarrett, he's the guy who's modeling in this picture for it. 
Love you, buddy. You're a fantastic defensive tackle, but please take off that jersey right now. As for the others, um, pretty solid black and white combos. I, I do like the red pants. I think that's a little different, kind of fun, but not a whole lot to write home about. With oh, these wow. I never actually even saw those red pants. I like those. Those are snazzy. Yeah. If yeah. only they had a matching red top that wasn't... If only they had great. that matching red helmet, that old retro helmet. That would have been gorgeous, but... Mm-hmm. Another, yeah, another story for another day. So are you ready to get kind of get into the actual uh, football stuff of this? Uh, yeah, let's do it. So speaking of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as everyone knows, the lord and savior of football... Tom Brady, yes, TB12, has moved from New England to Tampa Bay, signifying the end of a dynasty, or at least hopefully. Hmm. Uh, so, Jackson, how well do you think he'll hit, he'll fit into Bruce Arians' system? You know, I originally wasn't huge on this idea since Brady's been such a efficient, over-the-middle, kind of short-area passer, while Bruce Arians is a huge downfield kind of coach. However, the more I think about it, the more I really, really like this fit. Tom Brady has been (laughs) unbelievable. He has the most unprecedented ability to, well, be old and also still play football at such a high level. It's something we've never seen before. He has all the arm strength in the world. I still think he's probably a top 15 arm strength quarterback in the NFL. And I think he has all the ability to execute the system. And he also has the forget, weapon. He's carrying with him, what, 21 years of mental bandwidth from being the greatest to ever throw the football? I think I so. Think, I think he, he won't have any problems learning Bruce Arian's system. Um, it's whether or not he'll get on the same page with the receivers with the lack of OTAs. Uh, who knows what's going to happen um, with training this summer and preseason as social distancing and all that. But, um, as far as from a coaching philosophy, uh, Bruce Arians was famously quoted saying, no risk it, no biscuit. You can't live scared. Um, and you know who really didn't live scared last year was uh, Jameis Winston in this system. All famous Jameis. Never scared. Um, I mean, he was spectacular, but he was also Sometimes. spectacularly bad. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I was waiting for that. At other times, you know? For every three or four throws that made him look like an MVP candidate, he would just have a boneheaded interception where he'd sail it three, four yards over the receiver's head. Um, And that's why he was the first ever quarterback to have a 30 touchdown, 30 interception season. Yeah, really, honestly, just incredible. That's unprecedented. I don't know uh, how he didn't get benched. Who else would they put in there? I I can't even name Tampa's backup. Well... You don't have to now that they got TV 12. You have a point there. You have a very, very, very valid point there. Um, and so to touch on Bruce Arians, um, he's had a lot of success in his career with uh, young quarterbacks. Um, he worked with young Peyton Manning, um, young Big Ben, young Andrew Luck. Uh, but at the same time, he's also helped to revive older quarterbacks' careers, um, most famously with Carson Palmer. So this is a situation that I don't think uh, or very few coaches and teams have ever been in this position before. I mean, maybe Minnesota when they got Brett Favre. Uh, uh, Denver was a little bit different because Peyton Manning wasn't quite 
this old or near the end of his career. Also, he wasn't um, this physically strong. He was just coming off that uh, neck injury. So, yeah. yeah, this is... um, We've really never seen anything like this in professional football. Yeah, or even sports for that matter, because very rarely do you have a 43-year-old who's still able to produce like this. Yep, that's, uh, that's accurate. No, I just can't wait to watch how it plays out. Um, Bruce Arians, Coach Belichick, could not be more different. Uh, I, Arians, uh, part of his philosophy, I remember on Hard Knocks, he said, I don't understand why coaches can't eat dinner with their families. You know, he's, he'll let practice go early sometimes. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's also very serious and about his business, but he's, he's a player's coach through and through. And, and that's why he's been able to have a lot of success in the NFL. Um, in a large part, cause he has an infectious personality. Um, I, I, I don't know if you watched all or nothing, but he's a lot of charisma. Um, I think, I think he and Brady, there's a reason why Tom Brady ended up in Tampa and Bruce Arians has got to be a big part of it. All right, so now we're going to transition into perhaps not a player's coach. Perhaps even a coach who uh, is feared and maybe not liked by his own locker room. Bill O'Brien, the general manager and coach of the Houston Texans. He's uh, he's had a very busy and uh, controversial offseason, to say the least, in dealing off star receiver Nuke DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals. What do you think about that trade, JP? Well, I, I'm having a hard time seeing DeAndre Hopkins off the Texans. I think he'll thrive in Arizona with Kyler Murray. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. Oh, he's he's someone who was drafted late in the first round, um, but he's he has the best ball skills, I think, out of any receiver in the NFL. His hand strength. It's um, unparalleled. His ability to work with bad quarterbacks, too. Like we've, How many receivers have we've seen before where their production doesn't really, or maybe even goes up when they have a bad quarterback or backup for injuries or whatever, Brock Osweiler, you know. This man was catching touchdowns from TJ Yates. Enough yeah, said. I, Enough I said. cannot wait to see what he does with Kyler Murray. Um, as for Bill O'Brien, um, a lot of reports came out that it had to do with, he was uncomfortable with the way that DeAndre Hopkins had control over the team and, through Bill O'Brien's eyes. Um, you want to talk about that, Jackson? Well, apparently Bill O'Brien had something, had some issue with one of DeAndre Hopkins' baby mamas or the presence of that being around. DeAndre has done everything he can to try to downplay this idea, but it still seems just odd that he would ship off his star receiver for peanuts. So they've also made a couple of corresponding moves. In that trade for DeAndre Hopkins, they got back the running back, David Johnson, who was absolutely spectacular earlier on in his career, but is now kind of... His team had one of the most phenomenal years we've seen, and we haven't heard a whole lot from him. Granted, there have been a lot of injuries, um, consistent offensive line play since then, but we'll see if he can fill that void at running back that Houston had last year as they were running with committee with... Um, who was Duke it, Carlos Johnson. Hyde? I think it's Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so, the strongest group, not the worst we've ever seen, but definitely room for improvement there. And I think David Johnson will be a clear step up from both of those two at running back. Well, here here's what I think Bill O'Brien was doing. Bill O'Brien was trying to say, hey, I have a disgruntled player. I'm going to get rid of him. I need a running back, and I would like some form of draft capital. 
rings up Arizona and knows that David Johnson is on the line, is free, is available, pitches him and says, hey, what can we get back? So they get a second round pick and David Johnson. This is a very, very deep wide receiver room, or I mean draft class. So he probably figured, hey, I can probably grab a pretty nice talent in the top of the second round. However, just today, business bill swung another trade for the Rams' Brendan Cooks, the man who's just been absolutely passed around from winning organization to winning organization. However, I don't really think that it really works. See, I've done a little bit of math to figure out why this is such a bad situation for Houston. So, Brendan Cooks last year, although injured, accounted for 635 yards. And David Johnson, while being kind of ineffectual and outplayed by other running backs in Arizona, finished with 715 yards, making the total for last year of Cooks and Johnson 1,350 yards. uh, David Johnson's contract is a three-year, $39 million contract, and Brendan Cooks is a five-year, $81 million contract. New Hopkins last year, while also injured, put up 1,200 yards. And guess what? Here's the kicker, JP. He has that exact same contract of Brendan Cooks. Five years, $81 million. So Let's also not forget, although Cooks did play injured and missed two games last year, he was surpassed on the death chart by Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. He was not not even a primary option in L.A. who was desperate for options at the end of last year. So that says a lot about the state of him. And I, I cannot explain why he's been passed around from winning organization to winning organization over these years. It really it just works out that way. But he's played a lot of big games, won a lot of big games. Um do you think this is going to work out in Houston? Okay, so let me just phrase it this way. So let's just say, just in terms of money and production, Nuke and Cooks are the same. They they just cancel each other out. That just means in isolation, you are paying three years, $39 million for a second round running back. Would you rather have that money? Or just draft, like, uh, hmm, a J.K. Dobbins in this year's draft in the second round. Obviously, uh, I'm going the rookie. Especially yeah, since- I think we both agree that Bill O'Brien did not handle this situation very well. I, I don't think he got he maximized um, the value of the asset that he had, even though that asset, DeAndre Hopkins, was disgruntled. Um, he probably lost the locker room in the process. Uh, the odds are definitely stacked against him. Um, we'll see if he can go past the wild card round this year. I don't know if it's even Bill O'Brien anymore. I think that this Houston Texans team rides solely on Deshaun Watson and what he's able to do. Well, you can ride pretty far with that. Yeah, so, so we'll we'll really see. We'll see if Deshaun Watson saves his job again. So this actually does a little something else interesting. Arizona was looking at receiver and offensive tackle, maybe defensive line in this year's draft with their top pick. Right Wait, now, it looks you? like they're definitely going tackle. I think that a player that could possibly drop down the board for them is uh, someone like uh, Mikai Becton, the huge mountain of a man from Louisville. 
So I think that Arizona is in a very, very good place for next year, and I'm so excited to see what happens. Moving on to the next trade. Stefan digs to the Buffalo Bills. Wow. There's just been an unbelievable amount of player movement in this offseason, and I really, really like it. It's been so an much unprecedented fun. unprecedented amount. It's almost like an NBA offseason. I know. It's been, it's been beautiful. JP, why don't you tell us about this trade? So, well, this trade actually had a big deal or a big impact on Tom Brady in that after this trade went down, because Stephon Diggs is such a deadly weapon, um, so athletic, great route runner, able to get open, able to have a lot of production with Kirk Cousins and, and Adam Thielen um, to share catches with. Uh, so after this trade went down, Tom Brady decided he was going to leave the Patriots because he felt that the Patriots didn't have enough weapons last year. Um, and he saw that the front office wasn't going to make the moves necessary to get him the weapons he needs. So that's a long-winded way of saying that Tom Brady thinks very, very highly of this guy, so I think everyone should too. Um, I think Buffalo Bill, the Buffalo Bills, depending on how they come out next year, um, we'll see in the first few games, may have an argument or may come out with the best overall receiving core in the NFL. What do you think? I agree. Um, aside from the Buccaneers, maybe. You know— I was listening to my man Steve Palazzolo at the PFF podcast, and I really agree with what he has to say. Although, yes, Tampa Bay has these 2,000-yard receivers, or not 2,000-yard receivers, two 1,000-yard receivers. There we go. Buffalo has three guys who win consistently on route running and getting separation. What do you think about that? What do you think that the presence of three people who can get open on every single play does. Well, each one of these receivers brings a different skill set, which is rare to have um, a receiving core that's built that well. It's a different skill set, but they win in the same way. Um, We're obviously talking about John Brown and Cole Beasley, along with now Stephon Diggs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, John Brown, very, very fast. We've known that for years, but um, since he's left Arizona, um, when which he was kind of a one-trick pony, uh, he's developed into quite the route runner, as we've seen with Josh Allen. And I think I, this passing offense was able to work with without Stephon Diggs, with just John Brown, Cole Beasley, and an underrated guy coming out of God, Ole Miss in the third round last year, Dawson Knox. Hey, don't you uh, don't you dare disrespect my man. I think it's Robert Forrest, the receiver from Alabama, who they picked up in undrafted free agency, who I think. Uh, I think you get some nice playing time for him, actually. But yes, I really loved that Dawson Knox pick last year. Yeah, I mean, with tight ends coming in the later rounds, oftentimes you'll get one or two, one of two options: um, either a dependable guy who will catch the ball that if it's thrown to him right on time, but will have a harder time getting open, less athletic, or you oftentimes see these more raw, um, sometimes former receiver type of tight ends who are longer, more athletic, riskier, can take a little longer to adjust the NFL, but Dawson Knox hit the ground running last year, and at the end of the year, uh, Buffalo is chosen to stay with him. I think that they're going to be a really dangerous team on offense, and they've been building a really spectacular defense for a while now, so I'm excited to see them be the, actually like, be the favorites in that division for the first time in how many years has it been, probably? Oh, 
obviously since Tom Brady's been around, I think I'm going to coin the term PTB, post-Tom Brady. This is the first time anyone's going to be the favorite in the division in the past 20 years, so I think it's a... I think it's cause to be excited. Um, yeah, and who would have thought, now three years removed, that Josh Allen has a legitimate argument um, of being the second best quarterback from that draft class? I think Lamar wow. Jackson surprised us all, and by us all, I mean all 32 GMs when he became the unanimous uh, best quarterback from that draft, winning the MVP, lighting the world on fire. Yes, we all know, but Josh Allen. He's come a long way since he's been drafted, since he was thrown in, um, thrown into the flames, um, where he actually revitalized a terrible Buffalo team who in the first two weeks of his rookie year was on pace to be the worst team of all time. Um, when who, who was it that retired at halftime? Oh, oh, geez. Uh, Fonte Davis, the cornerback. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget, yeah, he came in that halftime and he was able to win some games early um, and developed a lot as a passer last year. Um, we all thought that he would be a, a huge down-the-field type of quarterback, but quite the opposite has come out. Wouldn't you say so, Jackson? Yeah, actually his downfield passing has been pretty, pretty bad. It's uh, That's actually been the worst part of his game. He's been surprisingly really effective in the intermediate and short passing games, getting the ball to guys like Cole Beasley and John Brown and letting them get to work. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with someone like Stephon Diggs, a guy who can create on all three levels of the field and get yards after the catch. It should be really fun to watch. Devin Singletary in the backfield. It's going to be... It's going to be a really, really interesting offense because they're going to have so many people who have the ability to catch the ball. And on the flip, um, Stephon Diggs has never had a mobile quarterback to work with. Wow, that is true. I never Um, even thought about that. Yeah, and that Josh Allen um, has somewhat quietly developed into arguably a top three, top four athletic quarterback in the league. Um, He's able to extend plays. He's able to just run, and I think that speaks a lot to his football IQ, being able to read when the plays break down and improvise and uh, figure out when and where to run. Like um, This is a skill that he's really developed since coming out of college. Um, he definitely wasn't branded as a dual threat, but he may be, um, in the old school term, dual threat in that not the run for a 1,000 yards type Mike Vick Lamar Jackson, but the old school run for 400, 500 yards, uh, about six or eight touchdowns. Uh, he may be the best in the game at that at the moment. Yeah, he's going to pick up first downs. He might make a big play every now and again, and he's going to buy time in the pocket. It's, yeah. it's a winning formula. So let's get to the other team in this trade, the Minnesota Vikings. JP, what do you think about them in this offseason? They've had a lot of uh, moving pieces, so to say. Well, a lot of moving pieces, but they're moving the wrong way for Minnesota. Um, I don't know. And, and, I, have a, I have an interesting counter-argument to this after, but yes, please go. Um, I think the Vikings and the NFC North as a whole, with the Bears, but that's a whole other story, um, got a lot weaker this offseason. Um, so the Vikings added Michael Pierce, who's a really good defensive tackle from the Ravens, but... If you look, take a step back and look at all the deals and all the free agents they lost, um, they lost Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, um, Mackenzie Alexander, Everson Griffin, Linville Joseph, and Stephon Diggs. 
that's a lot of production. Now they they were doing kind of um, what the Rams and a lot of other teams in somewhat contention have been doing and signing guys for big money, shorter deals. Um, I think this is the year where finally the offseason where finally caught up with them. Um, what's I, your counter argument, Jackson? I agree. I think that what you had to say is right, but I think that this was the time to move on from these players. Xavier Rhodes, done. Trey Waynes, never actually been that fantastic and got hugely overpaid by Cincinnati. Everson Griffin, he's okay. He's he's, ha- he's still pretty good, but he's had a lot of off-the-field issues. And I think that it may just be time to move on from him. And then Linval Joseph, the very done. public dispute with the team last year. Yeah, I think, I think it was just time to move on. And I think it's time for the Minnesota Vikings to reset. And I think that's kind of what they're doing. The soft um, reset. Yeah, cut their losses. Um, they'll be able to. This is not a complete rebuild, but it's a soft. It's a soft reset. It's a soft yeah. reset. So um, I think we'll that'll be if interesting. This works out. I think next year probably won't be their year. Um, I don't know if they'll be in contention next year, but we'll see what they do with this cap space and this soft reset, um, fresh start, um, bring in some younger guys or. Um, sign some new free agents. Um, this is not the off season for that for Minnesota. No, it is um, not. But they cleaned up their cap. Um, they didn't overpay players, uh, and you can do a lot with that in the NFL. Yeah. So I think that overall it wasn't a bad thing for Minnesota. It's just an inevitability in football. Getting into this final trade of this uh, past couple weeks. DeForest Buckner to the Colts for the 13th overall pick. Just before we kind of get into the overall trade dynamics, JP, who do you think won this trade? Well, I don't know if this is a trade that you really look at as winners and losers because both teams had completely different objectives from this trade. Beautiful. So as for the Colts, they're obviously in a win-now situation, bringing in Phillip Rivers. Um, They were pretty good last year with the exception of quarterback and their run defense is a little suspect. But... Um, as far as they're concerned, for the 13th overall pick to get an all-pro caliber player in DeForest Buckner, that's a pretty big win. Despite the fact that he's gonna, um, he's not gonna have a rookie contract, but and he's gonna be paying get a, he's getting paid a lot of money. Uh, how big was his deal again? I think I don't exactly remember the details, but I know that he is a top five defensive tackle in terms of a cap number. And- well, he's also a top five, maybe top three in terms of production. So, but I will say, JP, the Colts are in a position where they really don't need to worry about cap space. They have some of the most cap space in the league. So um, I don't think that uh, DeForest Buckner getting this massive deal is really going to impact them. They've however, built this roster so well. Um, on the other hand, though, um, the 49ers, although cap space may not be a huge concern at the moment, in 2021, which is after this year, um, it will decisions. be. Because... Big decisions. So, yeah, their defense, best defense in the league this year. Uh, as many great NFL defenses in recent memory, most famously with the Legion of Boom, are. Um, this was a defense that was built off rookie contracts. So when you look at the deals that are expiring in at the end of this year, um, Kyle Juszczyk, Richard Sherman, Akilolo, Witherspoon, Rita, DJ Jones, Ben Garland, and Emmanuel Mosley. Um, in addition to that, they only had two top 100 draft picks before this trade. Um, or after after this trade, they have two. Or after, yeah. So 
Um, what you're, what basically what that means is all of these players that I mentioned are not going to be able to be re-signed for that same amount. Um, I know Emmanuel Mosley, Garland, Brita, Witherspoon, they're all getting less than $1.5 million per year because they were all later, later round draft picks. Undrafted or, free agents. Yeah. Um, and so if you're an NFL GM, um, even if he may not be the best player, uh, anyone who can produce at all at $950,000 a year is just a huge benefit to the salary cap. However, all these guys are going to be offered more money somewhere else, um, even if it's not a ton of money. Like if they're offered four or five million dollars, the Niners can't afford to keep all these guys. So a lot of the a lot of them will leave. Um, and if you have no draft picks, you're going to have no way of replenishing that talent, and your defense will slowly age, erode, and stop developing. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're going to have a year where. Right after being great, you're going to give up 35 points a game, look in the mirror, think what happened, even though we only lost a few players. None of them were all that good. Um, and that's because NFL defenses, um, despite the fact that the star names are awesome and uh, a lot of fun to watch, they're built off these younger rookie deals and depth. Um, and so the 49ers secured more depth. Um, whoever they pick with the 13th draft pick. Or if they um, trade it. Yeah, they're or if they trade it. Um, they're going to be able to get someone who, even if they don't produce right away, will not eat up a ton of cap and hopefully will develop into someone who's very talented. Like there's a lot of great players in that range. Um, you expect to draft someone who will probably make a Pro Bowl, hopefully several in the future. Um, I think this is a win-win deal, Jackson. What do you think? Honestly, I couldn't add anything to that. I think you really summed that up eloquently and completely. I really valued that. That was that's fantastic, JP. Thanks, Jackson. Yeah. So to conclude, we're going to do two lists. We're getting yeah. wild here. JP, so, why don't you preview this first one? So me and Jackson have been talking. Um, I have a very vivid memory. Week three, 2009, when I started watching college football, just because I was sick that day. I did nothing but lay in TV, uh, lay in bed and watch TV. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Um, Jackson, we, we've talked. Um, your memories of college football, when do they start? You know, I don't have an exact memory. I do remember watching the Texas versus USC Rose Bowl and being absolutely flabbergasted by Vince Young. I remember that being my very first actual introduction into a love for football and a passion for it. So I think that's where it really started. However, I would say it really, like my first concrete memories of college football come around the 2000. 2007 season um, so so yeah, yeah in this the last few weeks us like everyone else you know a lot of time on our hands not a lot of sports to watch at the moment so we've been um going down memory lane and reminiscing about some of the best players we've watched um play college football and we came up with our own lists of the five best defensive college football players because everyone talks about great quarterbacks um, receivers, running backs, running receivers, backs. Even though we all complained about how they can't really win the Heisman, they're at least talked about. Um, you know, who's not talked about all that much are defensive players, despite the fact that they can be just as dominant, dominate games, um, and win national championships, just like offensive players. Yes, sir. So, you want to start with your list, Jackson? All right. I have a couple honorable mentions as well. And this isn't obviously a concrete list. This isn't a list that I am completely right. But it's just uh, it's just what I remember. 
it's a little... I can't tell if it's recency bias or if these players are really good. I actually just think they're really, really Definitely good. Definitely some nostalgia bias mixed in our lists, but we'll just... We'll see how it plays out. Hopefully, um, trigger some nostalgia in your own brain. All right, so my first two players, you were actually saying, have no way of getting Heisman consideration. These two guys did. Nebraska's defensive tackle, Ndamukong Sue, and Notre Dame linebacker, Manti Teo. Those are my top two guys. Absolutely fantastic players. Sue was a one-man wrecking crew against both the pass and the run. Well, Manti... Yeah, yeah, and especially. And Manti Teo was an overall fantastic linebacker with a knack for interceptions. My third guy on this list, a little bit controversial, I'd say. But Clemson defender, I'm not going to give him a position because he's positionless. Isaiah Simmons, he's been able to play in the box, play DB, go off the edge. He's a truly incredible player and someone we haven't seen in college football recently. You know, Jackson, I might, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, just to touch on something. Um, it's really, really a shame that he did not get at least double the hype of Jabril Peppers, because I felt like Isaiah Simmons was just a way better version of Jabril Peppers, yet Jabril Peppers was dominating headlines because of his status as the number one recruit and at Michigan. Anyway, continue. Uh, well put. Next guy, also recency bias, maybe, but also, if you guys watch college football, you know this guy's insane. Chase Young, edge from Ohio State. Like, he's literally the predator. He's an unbelievable football player, can win in every single way off the edge, just a fantastic guy. And my last guy, we're going to go a little bit off the, off the radar here with Iowa DB Desmond King. This man was an absolute ball magnet in the Big Ten in his career from 2013 to 16. I really loved him. He was able to tackle really well. People weren't throwing at him, and if they were, he was getting picked off. He was just a beautiful football player. I have a couple honorable mentions. Uh, James Laurinaitis, the Ohio State linebacker from 2005 to 2008. I think he was a two-time All-American. Fantastic player, racked up tackles, and had a very successful NFL or pretty successful NFL career. And my last guy is for sure Homerism, but I absolutely love this guy. Scooby Wright the third, the linebacker, edge, everything player for the University of Arizona. Go yeah, Wildcats. So um, that concludes my list, JP. Let's uh, let's hear yours. Um, so I have a very vivid first impression of this guy, and that's Tyron Matthew. I think a lot of America feels that way. And they famously played Oregon in Cowboy Stadium, and he absolutely dominated took over that game um that was maybe the first time i've seen a defensive back really dominate a game like that um he although his his time at lsu was cut a little bit short um in the time he was there he's one of the most phenomenal players i've ever seen not to mention he was a weapon on special teams return many points to the house yeah he might be Um, my favorite punt returner of all time (laughs) um so the second guy if you want to just be floored and open your mouth and stare blankly at the screen. Just Google Aaron Donald tackle versus Duke in that he beats a double team off the line of scrimmage. Um, it was a read option and the quarterback was maybe a little bit stunned and a little slow uh, because he just beat that double team. So oh, it's fast. definitely a slow mesh point, but wow. Well, he took down the running back 
and the quarterback at the same time. He hugged both of them, took them down to the ground. I don't know who got sacked or if it was a run for a loss. It doesn't matter. It was a minus five yards and everyone was stunned. Myself and the humiliation included. for the offensive guard who's so unlucky to be matched up against him. It's just a lose-lose situation. Like You cannot block Aaron Donald. He is mini Mighty Mouse. Unbelievable. Probably the best player in the NFL right now, yes. besides maybe Patrick Mahomes, but that's a story for another day. Yes. All right, next guy. Um, one of my personal favorites. Uh, he was basically a quarterback playing middle linebacker. Um, he, knew NFL, he knew the offense he was facing probably better than most of the players themselves. Uh, Luke Keekley from Boston College. Um, although they didn't play in a ton of big games, have a ton of big spotlights, Luke Keekley put up not just big, but monstrous numbers. Uh, and it, he was the best linebacker in college football for his three years at Boston College, hands down. I think he was like a at least two seasons with triple digits uh tackle numbers which is he also won three awards in his sophomore and junior year um winning i, I cannot remember the names of all these awards but uh he definitely won the buckkiss award uh award for the best defender in college football he was just a man amongst boys stud uh, now here's a guy who's a man amongst boys oh jadavion <laughs> Clowney. uh we all remember that hit versus michigan rest uh, in peace vincent smith <laughs> number one recruit out of high school um i think we also all remember his combine in that someone that's that big um and that long should not be allowed to run that fast it's like it's like he someone messed with the sliders when they were creating him in uh ncaa football video game or something he is it's kind of messed up it's not fair (laughs) he's very scary uh one of the people i would very much not want to see if i was a running back holding the ball and I would not want to make eye contact with him. I would not want to go anywhere near him. He is—he was so dominant. Although he kind of fell off a little bit at the end, um, there were rumors circulating uh, protecting his draft stock. I still respect him for playing because a lot of guys, actually in his position, would have sat out and not even played his junior year. He had a um, beautiful career. So, and then finally, this is a guy. He's very recent and quite underappreciated for the amount of production um, and the amount he contributed to winning national championships, which is what it's all about at the end of the day for most of these programs and teams. And Minka Fitzpatrick. I think Um, that's an outstanding call right there. Yeah. I think when it's all said and done, hopefully in a few years, we'll be able to look back and think, wow. Because all of these Alabama defenders, for a lot of people, myself sometimes included, kind of blur into one. As we forget how great they individually were, how great these individual defenses were. Because it's just... Um, the evil empire, much like the Patriots, we always just remember, oh, Alabama, we just count on them being there to... Uh, being really good at defense yeah. and playing well. Minka was that was probably the most ultimate chess piece they've had, a guy who could move around and play every single position in the secondary, so you had oh, no idea what they were doing. ruled when they saw, when they were figuring out how to wear and how to use him in their schemes. Um, and as for my honorable mentions... Um, this is a Homer, a local guy um, who I remember very vividly hearing the sound of his hits on the first football game I ever attended, and that's Taylor Mays. Uh, wow. He was a three-time All-American at USC, safety, 
uh, combine god, just all the measurables you could want, and a lot of the intangibles too. And he Violence. loved contact. Violence. <laughs> very, very violent player. Um, spectacular to watch. Um, Never panned and, out in the league, though. Um, yeah, it's a shame. But And the final honorable mention, uh, he was iconic in that he was a big, big part of Alabama's first national championship with the save and run, uh, Terrence Cody. Oh, yeah, big busty. <laughs> yeah, he was... Um, he fit perfectly into the mold of all the late 2000s defensive tackles, the big old belly, um, eating up a lot of space, um, squishing running backs who were so unfortunate to get near him in his gap. The round um, mound of rundown. Yeah. No, he was he was unbelievable. Um, and hopefully we jarred some names um, from deep in your memory bank. and Stirred some uh, good images. Yeah, these are very vivid images. A lot different than uh, offensive players. <laughs> well, maybe a little painful for some, but for us, yeah. it's been good. Yes. And uh, as we're wrapping up this decade of football, the NFL has released their all-decade team. Feel free to check out the list if uh, you choose to do so. There are most of your usual suspects who made their, who made the list, but there were a couple players who missed out on being on the team, and JP and I have just... A couple guys we wanted to touch on. I have Andrew Whitworth, Cam Wake, and A.J. Green. All of these guys played for smaller market teams or non-successful teams, but have had absolutely stellar careers. Andrew Whitworth was, and still is, a stalwart left tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals, or he was, and now the L.A. Rams. He's been a consummate professional on and off the field, and has been one of the best left tackles in the game in recent memory. Cam Wake. So this is a guy who played in the CFL for a while and had a really interesting road to get to the league. However, in this decade, I think he's compiled over 100 sacks, and he's been an absolute terror off the edge for Miami, Tennessee, and I, yeah, I think that's actually it. But he's been a fantastic player too. And then lastly, A.J. Green, another Cincinnati Bengal. Am I a Cincinnati Bengals fan? I hope not. But he's They've had a good decade. They've had a lot of good teams, a lot of good players come through there. Okay, I think good players. And A.J. Green, I think, has been the best of those guys. Yes, he's been overshown by another receiver in his draft class, one Julio Jones. But A.J. Green has had a very, very successful career in his own right. Probably being the most recognizable name in Cincinnati football history in the past 10-15 years. JP, why don't, uh, why don't you give us a couple guys? Well, so first and foremost, I'm going to mention my man Clay Matthews, who made six Pro Bowls this decade. Um, he won the Football Writers Association, so not quite the AP uh, Defensive Player of the Year in 2012. Uh, he had, in this decade, 84 sacks um, was a part of a Super Bowl winning team uh, in the and in the Super Bowl um, forced a huge fumble that ended up swinging the momentum and helping the Packers win. Um, I know you I, remember that. <laughs> I think it'd be a shame. I don't know if he deserves to be on this list, but it's a shame that people aren't in the, on the Instagram comments or on Reddit complaining about the fact that he was not on this list. Um, speaking of someone who is Drew Brees, 
Now, I'm not saying he deserves to be on this list because I think the 2010s was a decade of Aaron Rodgers' dominance and Tom Brady being Tom quite Brady. good, sneaking into <laughs> the postseason and then absolutely dominating year in and year out, um, famously winning three Super Bowls. Um, and he also won an individual MVP award. Uh, I don't, as great as Drew Brees has been, I don't think there's an argument in that he's been better than either of those two. However, he deserves an honorable mention, and he was a, the third best quarterback without a doubt in the 2010s. Maybe Russell Wilson, but that's a story for another day. Um, last guy, JP, and let's wrap this up. Last guy. Um, he's definitely not someone you're thinking about, but Andy Lee. Special teams love. Oh, yeah. He was he was great. Uh, he was a three-time All-Pro first team in this decade. Um, he led the NFL in punting um, twice in this decade and won the Golden Toe Award. Uh, yeah, he's, punters are people, too. Don't forget. Shout out to my buddy, George Caratan. Hopefully uh, you find a nice spot after transferring from Michigan. So I guess that'll wrap up the podcast. For today's episode, we'll try to get back to you guys every single Friday. Obviously, our schedules are a little bit hectic now, school and this whole coronavirus situation. But we'll do our best to get more content out to you guys as soon as possible. We thank you guys so much for listening to us. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And we hope to hear from you soon. Signing off until next time. Peace, peace.